Hi everyone and welcome to the third episode of The Local Sex Shop. As you might have seen from the title, today we're talking about manhood, masculinity, relationships and everything in between of those things. I think that is a very important topic to talk about because the way that we are raised to be as humans and the way that manhood is shaped also affects how relationships are shaped and how people interact with each other in romantic instances. For example, the fact that we raise boys and girls with the expectation that if a man goes on a date with a woman, the man has to pay. That is something that affects both sides and then it shapes standards and expectations. This episode, just like uh, probably every other episode that we're going to be having, uh, since it talks about uh, relationships and sexuality and personal experiences, topics might be bothering some for some reasons, they might be uh, sensitive. So I would like you to keep that in mind. Moving forward to our guest for today. <laughs> Hello, um, I'm Cameron. Um, I'm 23. I'm a psychology student. Well, almost done now. Um, my pronouns are he, him, and I'm a queer man. Hello, Cameron. <laughs> Very glad that you're here with us today. Uh, Cameron today is our expert as a man in manhood. <laughs> and I would like to get right into uh, the talk of maybe some gender uh, stereotypes that you have faced, that you are familiar with. And I would like to take it in the kind of from the beginning. So what are some of the earlier gender stereotypes that you can remember hearing from your environment? Um, I think that the gender stereotypes that were the ones that stay in my head that were like the earliest signs of it were like from parents and from parents of other children with whom I interacted. So like my dad was very much um, trying to enforce this kind of like rigid idea of what it means to be a boy. So when it came to like interests and sports and hobbies and extracurricular activities, his idea of what it meant to be a boy was not what I was doing. So whether that was me wanting to have a Barbie or a doll, um, or whether it was me wanting to twirl around or just watch movies or kind of like be artistic uh, compared to playing football or playing rugby. Um, those things were kind of the aspects of masculinity or boyhood that he wanted to enforce on me, whether explicitly or not, either just showing disapproval or kind of taking away a doll and giving me something else instead. I think that sticks with me as something that I remember being some of the earliest forms of the gender stereotypes that we're talking about. Okay, so you specifically remember playing with dolls and him taking them away? More that my mum would have arguments with my dad and my dad would be like shouting, my mum would be shouting and, and he... He just wasn't around a lot, and that was a reason why he wasn't around. So my mum would tell me a bit later, like, yeah, your dad really did not appreciate that you had a doll and that I let you have a doll. And, yeah, that's really what happened, yeah. Mm, okay. I remember that when we had our discussion uh, 
you had told me a bit more about the dolls that you had and some information on them. Yeah, if you can mention it again. <laughs> yes, uh, yeah, so I had this little doll. It was, well, it was like a human, like, baby-sized doll, like a, and I called her Emily. And um, my interest in having Emily was that I had the idea of being a good father, and I wanted to be, like, the best dad ever to this little baby. So I would carry this doll around and I'd be like, yeah, this is my daughter, Emily, like just playing around. So it wasn't like me, you know, dressing up things, which is also completely fine in itself. And I had a Barbie that I also did dress up and that's also completely fine. Um, but like there was a bit more nuance to that. And I think that when I was playing with that doll, I was kind of cosplaying as a dad because my dad wasn't really there. Now in hindsight, I realized that even though as a child, I was just having a good time. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I think I had already told you when you told me that the first time, uh, because we had this conversation before, that it's kind of, well, a bit sad, I guess, when you're holding a, a baby doll as a child yourself, and you were, how old were you at that point? Ooh, I'm like four or five. Yeah, that's very young. That's like really not understanding even like what you are supposed to do gender-wise at this point. But you did have the concept of, I want to be a good uh caretaker for this inanimate object and I want to treat it well and give it nurture and love and empathy and everything and then the reaction from your father was negative and it was kind of like that was that seems like it was telling you okay uh, that's not for you you're not allowed to do that yeah but on the other hand we also have the expectation of women to do that at the same age yeah so it's kind of uh, like stopping you from wanting to be a good father and learning how to take care of a baby. Exactly, because they were seen as girls' toys. So like the idea that these are girls' toys already shows that there is a gender stereotype from like the moment you are born, even in the toys and all these kind of um, like messages that you see everywhere. And then as a boy then doing that, you kind of... You're like, no, that's a girl's thing, so that makes you girly, which is a whole different discussion that a boy who is girly or a girl who is boyish, like, I think that's where it all really starts. Yeah, and now you said that, like, about baby stuff, I kind of thought of clothes. Like, when someone is having a boy, everything is blue, and when someone is having a girl, everything is pink. Yeah. And also there's some insane logos on children's clothes. Yeah, like I remember seeing a t-shirt. I think it was like a Target and ad and um the girl um the girls had like best future mom or something like that or best future wife and the boys had like heartbreaker and stuff like that. And I'm just thinking like what a message to give kids. Like of course they may not register it as that, but it'll stay with them. Like these messages do stay with us. And then we grow up thinking that that's how we have to be. Yeah, and yeah. the person who is going to buy those clothes is a person who already thinks that, probably. So it's more like an advertisement about everyone, uh, for everyone around the baby who sees that. Yeah. And that is kind of how you set your expectations. You're going to be like amazing wife, but probably you will not have a husband because he had the other t-shirt. <laughs> exactly. So, mm. <laughs> Okay, um, moving on a bit from that, I wanted to go into like puberty uh, times and how was that uh, for you and how was the experience with uh, some gender stereotypes probably with your peers? 
Yeah. Um, well, I was a bit of an early bloomer. So the idea of being a man was to get like a bit of facial hair or to have like a bit of hair in your chest or like even armpit hair to gaining muscles. And the boys that already had some of those things were the more popular boys. And the ones who didn't have it were called gay. I don't think people really, or we really realized what that meant at the time. I don't think anyone did at that age. But it does stick with you and it becomes this kind of, it others you when you're that young. Um, and then you start looking it up when the internet really became like a thing amongst us at that age. Then when you start looking up what that word means, then you're like, oh my God, am I gay? Am I, you know, like, what does that mean? So for me, puberty and being a man was affected more about being called gay and that affected my sexuality more than just being a man. So there was being a man and being gay, and those were seen as two separate things. So the manly traits for, and now we're talking about puberty, right? Yeah. So for like, what, 12 year olds until 18? Yeah. So it's already uh, the facial hair and the body hair, and I don't know, what else, like muscles? Yeah, and just having like more masculine features or being into sports, yeah. And also the interest in sciences as well, and kind of like the more boy interests, and then the girl interests, and then they were the gay interests. Yeah, and they were three separate things, which is interesting. What were the gay interests? It was, I mean, these were like the boys that were not doing sports. So the boys that were interested in painting, or doing like arts and crafts, or being interested in certain forms of media. Um, reading, being on your own even, um, acting, singing, those things were gay. But sports, STEM sciences, and like drinking and talking about girls were all like the boy things. Which is again like that, uh, the gay interests. In different times on the same planet, men were the only ones doing those. <laughs> exactly. Like the painting or the singing and the dancing and the theater. Like. We know, like from around the world, that women were not allowed to be actors, so men did all of the roles. Yeah. But now, I think it's really interesting to see how in different centuries and in different times in history, the standards for what you're supposed to do based on your gender change so drastically. Mm. Were there any specific uh, trends, though, uh, among your peers? Trends as in? Like, uh, to kind of show off their manhood or their masculinity at that point? I remember only a couple things. Like, I remember when I was in uh, fifth grade, like it's the first year of high school, pretty much. Um, there, there was a massive interest of the boys watching South Park and talking about that and then drinking, um, like after school and smoking and kind of just talking about girls and making like now in hindsight, pretty sexist comments about the girls. And I remember that I just found it all very <laughs> weird. Like, I never found South Park that funny, frankly. Um, now I can appreciate some of the humor, but it's still unfunny in general. And also just, it was like, we were 12. I mean, 12, 13, I don't know why drinking and smoking was something that is a man's thing to do. So those really were like trends that were going around at that time, as far as I remember. Okay, so you... But you were not interested in those things. No. I loved to read, and I loved to play the guitar, and to sing, 
and uh, I was I did other sports like I did athletics and stuff but I was the skinny kid so I was like lanky and a bit unfortunate looking so it was just um, like I already was I already looked a little bit different than the other guys so it just became very obvious that I was not like the boys how did it feel for you to be able to see that you were not like the other boys I mean it was very isolating um, because then I also didn't want to make an effort to be one of the boys because they made me feel bad about it like I was bullied throughout high school um, and I just didn't and after a while I didn't even want to make an effort to be one of the boys or cool so I just didn't anymore and then things started to get better when I started to not care but to get to that point was already difficult because you want to fit in like everyone does so I think that during puberty is very very difficult to really be your own person because as you said like everyone wants to fit in and the slightest deviation from like the not the norm but i guess the popular behaviors or what like the popular kids are doing is what you have to do yeah and now that we mentioned fitting in basically and i also remember that before you were saying oh there's the category of boys and gay and i would like it to maybe uh, elaborate a bit more on what you were saying about this uh, separation and what kind of messaging you were receiving about your own self and your own sexuality at that point i, I think everyone at that age is a little bit questioning or exploring what it means to be themselves for me personally i already was a little bit well i was in the closet at the time so it was i was already having a bit of inner turmoil because i didn't know what was going on and because i was being called gay i already associated being queer with something that's bad because it was an insult so growing up I, i think like the insult was like one part and it was the only thing that they could do But the impact that that word had and the connotation that that word had pushed me further back into the closet. And I think it pushes many people, even if they're not queer, even if they are straight, it makes them perform a way that they may not otherwise. Like, I think that there's, like, it ties in together with the idea of this toxic masculine traits that boys feel like they have to engage in even though they actually might also be interested in singing or musical theatre or something else, but then they feel that they can't because that's something that gays do, but not boys. Yeah, and I think that is kind of true for all age groups. And as you are saying that, well, first of all, I started thinking of uh, when I was a teenager, other teenage boys around me, and I know that there are a lot of them who are, you know, more nervous or had more anxiety and they were not so sociable Uh, but then growing up um, they were kind of really trying to show people that that's not what they are and they went like the complete other way in terms of what makes a man and trying to stick to it and i think like i know i'm thinking for example of a certain guy who was like more uh, petite and um more introverted and shy and stuff and like this is something that he was picked on like you could see that sometimes his own friends other men other teenage boys basically would pick on him for that and then kind of growing up i have i have to say i no longer have him as a friend on facebook (laughs) 
because like I noticed that he was getting a lot of hateful ideas and a lot of ideas that included aggression and I think that that was one of the reasons because he was basically trying not to seem small like he was trying to emphasize that he can also be physical and also I was thinking another example that I was thinking is I remember once um, I was going through a dating app and there was a guy I matched with and I sent my my mom his picture and he had nice clothes on and my mom like my mom was like is he gay oh no because yeah because because he he was stylish and that is apparently having a nice taste is not something that a straight man can have <laughs> it's not allowed yeah but like i think of stuff like that and i'm like they're small but it shows you to what extent people think of those uh things and i had I had heard a similar comment for um, a psychology professor, actually. Like, another student was like, oh, isn't he gay? And we're like, no. Why? And then it was kind of in the discussion because, well, she was brought up in a conservative uh, village in Germany. And I was brought up in Cyprus, which is kind of the same. So um, I immediately went with, is it the scarf? Like, she she coded him as gay because he wore a scarf. Mm -hmm. So it's stuff that even if you are against them, you can recognize that like those small things, how we judge everyone, not just about what kind of people that they are, but also what kind of sexuality they have based on how they choose to put on clothes. Yeah, it's like a small piercing can make all the difference. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. Yeah, and depends on what ear. Oh my god, yeah. Like, the right ear was the gay ear. At least that's what my father told me when I was really young. Like, he told me, if you ever get your ear pierced, do it in your left ear. Which I also ended up doing. But, um, yeah. You can always (laughs) put a piercing. Always make another one. Yeah. I had a teacher in fifth grade who told us that men who wear uh, piercings are not real men. I was 11 years old and I still remember it because my uncle, who is a straight man, he has both ears pierced. So I was like, what? My uncle is not a real man? No. (laughs) Yeah. It's crazy how, how, like, what things people can come up with to disqualify people from manhood. Like, you're not man enough, you're not straight enough, or, like, whatever, without even knowing them, just judging them on their tastes. And considering that we've seen similar uh, tastes on people of different sexualities, then maybe we should start considering that, like, wearing a scarf when it's winter, maybe that's not a gay thing. Of course it's not, but yeah. But that's why, like, these things of, that you're not man enough and these stereotypes, they're, they're all very much unreasonable. Like, they're not realistic, they're also not helpful. Oh, and by the way, speaking of appearance, I wanted to ask you then, we've talked about how appearance doesn't really dictate what you like and uh, who you are but are there maybe also similar uh, stereotypes on appearance or what you expect in uh, queer men well i think like it becomes most apparent in dating apps i remember talking to you about this that on grinder there is a massive race issue um well more like a racism issue um that black men are fetishized and Asian men are pretty much avoided. And 
it, it like you can see it on the profiles where some people say like no blacks no fats no femmes no asians and that's like like you see it often enough that it stays in your mind so i think that wherever we are in whatever sphere you are we are recreating these like discriminatory things based on the on your appearance no matter what sexuality you are or you have and i i do think that's just a human problem but yeah yeah like you said those things and even though i'm not on grinder i can i can immediately imagine uh what kind of stuff would disqualify people uh from those categories let's say uh like fetishizing black men yeah i don't i don't have to mention it <laughs> yeah uh or for asian men maybe that they're less manly and yeah. or or maybe the opposite of the stereotype from black men exactly yeah yeah like i mean the whole idea that to be a gay man and to be desirable as a gay man or as a queer man is that you have to be muscly white between 180 and two meters and pretty much be i'm doing that in air quotes normal uh that's what is kind of like the staple and i think that some communities specifically in los angeles and new york you see this where this is a massive problem because people that are not like that like disabled queer people um black queer men asian queer men they are othered and they are isolated from the community so aggressively it's horrible and honestly as a queer community we are already isolated from the rest of the world to an extent we should know better and we are a community that could do better but then we don't and i honestly do not know why that happens frankly <laughs> i think we're all copying each other and we copy what's available so like when you say white man who is uh muscular and like 180 to two meters i wanted to say oh that's like uh, like what advertised for for women yeah too like that is what you should uh, aspire to have yeah it's just that this kind of idea of a nuclear family that looks like pretty much copy paste that i think it it wiggles its way into everybody's minds and then you start to feel bad about yourself or about the or the kind of partner that you have or something else and i think f like f for men i mean i think women often think a little bit more about it just especially because now it's being spoken about a bit more but i think men don't even think about it they don't even question why they are feeling bad and they then kind of project and i understand where that comes from like i've been there and sometimes i have to catch myself but i think like we need to accept that a lot of these rigid roles and stereotypes are exactly that they are stereotypes and we do not have to engage with them and we can also just go on our own path and not worry about it but we also need to first acknowledge that they exist and acknowledge that we are also bound by them just because we are at the top of the food chain um, does not mean that we are not affected by the chain, you know? Yeah, I know. And I think another problem is that there are people who are aware of those, like men specifically, because I say men specifically because I feel like for women, uh, we all, already know that we are constantly like uh, bombarded with images of skinny women. And there has already been like a massive, at least online movement of like embracing your body and embracing how you look. But when it comes to men, we don't see the same uh, response. Partly is because women have been like at the forefront of being projected like those images. That's why they're more 
intensely fighting them back. But also men don't speak about those things as much as women do. And then when some men speak about uh, body image, it might be, yes, get, get masculine, uh, get, get your protein. <laughs> so then it kind of sends you the message that, oh, yeah, you're right. You don't have abs and you should have abs. Yeah, I think like that also like starts like around puberty, like as we were talking about those like ideas of like whoever skinnier is gay uh, and who is not like having those like secondary tertiary features, they are the ones that grow up really wanting to get those features. And then you start developing eating disorders, but those things aren't spoken about that much online as it is for women for the reasons you just said. So then they just kind of go their entire life miserably. And they don't, of course, they don't talk with their friends because they all have the same kind of idea. Yeah, and it's kind of an everlasting cycle of pain. <laughs> yeah, but it, they don't even acknowledge it as pain a lot of the times. Yeah. It's just like, well, that's how men are. Yeah, and that comes from both women and men. Like, yes. it's, it's such a nasty, nasty rhetoric that keeps people trapped in their own misery. Yeah, and I think it's important that you said, like, it's specifically the rhetoric, like, it's the belief. It's not to blame someone who's alive in 2023, but more like the thought that has been existing for way more years yeah. than that. And everyone kind of falls for it, if I could say that. Mm. Yeah, and also what you said about um, people developing uh, eating disorders, I think that's very important uh, because the constant um you know minding exactly what you eat and how you eat it and measuring like your body fat and stuff like that which are behaviors that are like seen a lot online at least like there are so many fit guys who are like um i think i told you that like my instagram all like my instagram feed for some reason showed me uh videos of guys that are like let me uh, show you how to make uh, protein uh, like with chicken like has the highest protein in the lowest fat and yeah like that is kind of feeding into an obsession and when we think of uh, eating disorders we usually think of you know forcing yourself to vomit for example or not eating uh, because those are like the most prominent stuff and then we forget that other things that also exist in eating disorders is like measuring excessively what you eat, thinking of the calories excessively, being obsessed over how your body looks. And like those things are very apparent in the like online uh, community of like bodybuilding. Yeah, I mean, there's a reason why the meme exists with like, you know, the bodybuilders eating plain rice and unseasoned chicken. Like the meme is a meme, obviously, but there's a kernel of truth to it. And it also shows, like, how incredibly sad it is that that's what they're essentially eating and they are sacrificing something really nice that could be really fun to eat something different every day and then they just eat that. Like, I think that's quite unfortunate. Yeah, definitely. And now to move away from the eating disorders, <laughs> I think we can uh, move a bit into porn. Yep. Because I just think we should. I agree. Great idea. <laughs> Yeah, okay, so before we were talking about how uh, expectations of appearance are kind of related for everyone, like straight people and queer people ending up idealizing the same kind of body type. So I was also interested to ask, okay, uh, we know 
we kind of know how straight porn dynamics are because it's like the most popular thing you can find out there. How do you think that uh, porn dynamics play out? Is there a difference between uh, heterosexual aimed porn? Well, I think that the power dynamic is something that stays very consistent throughout both heterosexual and homosexual and queer porn or whatever it is. Um, like there's always something between submissive and dominant and I think that's something that plays out a lot. I think often it may not appear that way in gay porn. Like on face value you may be like, oh it's two men so there's no real power dynamic. But we recreate those power dynamics by saying like twink and daddy or whatever, <laughs> you know? Like those things are played out again and again and again. So then the twink is essentially put in the role of the woman in air quotes and the daddy of the man. And I think in straight porn that's also still a problem because like the receiving role is seen as lesser than and being submissive is seen as lesser than because it's vulnerable and weak which is just kind of I mean it's ridiculous but I can understand how it's got there. Yeah and I think I have still heard people uh, I've, I've heard I remember hearing a friend of mine who is gay like using the words like active and passive so I think that was kind of I was thinking oh okay but like even if you are bottoming for someone you're still not passive you're still doing something you're still participating in the whole sex thing <laughs> <laughs> yes you are actively participating yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> even though it's called passive yeah that is really ridiculous yeah, yeah. is this something that it is like used like active and passive yeah oh really yeah like at least in germany i know that's the case like people use those words very much uh, I think, like, in the English language, not as much. Like, they use top and bottom or verse or yeah. sub, dom, yeah. Yeah, my friend also said it in Greek, so I was, like, I was translating, so I was, like, maybe that doesn't make sense. Uh, yeah. But apparently it does. Yeah. Which is kind of sad. <laughs> um, okay, uh, and by the way, uh, how did you discover porn? Um, well, first I discovered straight porn, and I think the first thing that I found was that it was very violent towards the woman, and I really didn't like that. Like, it kind of, it shocked me. And my first thought was, I do not want to do that to a woman. I do not want to hurt a woman. But that's also because I had the idea that a woman is weaker or more fragile than a man, which is definitely its own font of sexism, but... I really did not want to inflict that at that age. I now understand a bit better, but then that's when I first discovered it. That was my first thought. And because I was also interested in men and I recognized that around 13, 14, 15, um, then I started looking at gay porn. And to me, that was easier to approach because it was for me like, oh, it's two men. So, you know, they can both take it. It's fine. But it's still, that is, it's it's still a problem and I still feel like it's an unhealthy relationship with that kind of media. And I don't think that you necessarily can have a healthy relationship with that kind of media if it's set up in that dynamic. Yeah. I think, thankfully, there are some changes happening. Uh, even though that's, like, definitely not the mainstream, that's definitely not yeah. uh, accessible as mainstream porn that's like everywhere but yeah so are there um, ways that you're trying to change your impressions about sex that like porn gave you well now i kind of recognize it for what it is it's porn it's not reality <laughs> so i can enjoy it for what it is and i think that you can still consume porn without 
uh, letting it change the way that you interact with a partner. But I think you just have to realize that that's not real. And I think many men, that's how they, or may, I think many people in general learn what sex is through porn. And it's a performance. So, you know, in reality, they may go into the first sexual experience thinking, this, like, this is what I have to do. And then they put themselves in a role where they actually might not feel that comfortable and it might not be that right for them. Well, for a lot of people, there's it's hard to distinguish uh, basically what real sex is because they've never had it and the only thing they've watched is porn first. Do you think you have ever had a sexual experience where you kind of felt like, okay, this person is projecting their porn history on me? Yes, I've had a couple of those experiences where midst coitus um <laughs> i civilized yeah i realized oh so this person is reenacting a video that he watched like i instantly recognized it and i was like oh i really don't want to continue and there's its own i mean there's the own problem of not being able to stop because you're like worried of kind of the idea of abuse or rape so i mean for me i had a pro problem with freezing but the idea that someone was enacting something felt very violating Um, just because they were not having sex with you, they were having sex with an idea. Mm. So it kind of made you feel like a bit of a, um, an object. At least in my experience, that was the case. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it, because from what you say, I, he didn't, or they didn't, or whoever it was, uh, they didn't tell you beforehand that they wanted to do what they did. Yeah. Okay, so it was... It was a violation. <laughs> yeah, but again, I think it's something that is culturally seen as acceptable. So as much as I do not find it acceptable, I think most people will find it because everyone is still so used to the idea of porn is sex, sex is porn. Yeah. Mm, yeah, but I do feel like, I feel like I need to kind of scream that that's yeah. not what should be happening. Yeah. That's not acceptable. And that shouldn't have happened. And I also, like, that made me think, okay, like, how good are people at communicating what they want, actually? How, like, do they? Do they communicate what, what they want? Can they communicate what they want uh, when it comes to intimacy and when it comes to uh, relationships? I don't think optimally very well. <laughs> um, I think it could be better. And I think if people are taught to say what they like and what they don't like and when it happens just go like hey i don't like that and learn that it is acceptable both to give criticism and to take criticism um active and passive roles um <laughs> you i think you just like learn how to have an open communication an open conversation about how to have sex yeah and do you think that is it expected to have a lot of sex like especially when you are with two male people for example I mean, I think a consequence of being gay or being queer and looking for partners that are also men, they don't have that limitation of they have to look for a woman who wants to have sex with you because both of the men want to have sex. And often I think that men tend to feel like they are entitled to have sex because that is how they are brought up. Like, I think men and boys are taught that It is a basic need and it is something that is required of them biologically and that they are biologically have a higher libido than women. So I think that they just are like, oh, I'm supposed to have more sex, so I'm just going to go get it. And then they start having cravings for sex, even though they may be compensating for something else inside of them. 
like maybe a closer connection or intimacy. So I think that then a lot of men tend to have more partners. And if it's two men, the variable that is often seen as a difficulty for when men look for sex is out of the question. So I think often a lot of gay men have higher body counts than straight men. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> I think it's even funny that you will like body count. Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah, which is really like I get that people are glad they have sex, but I think to then say to count how many people you have had sex with and be like body count. It kind of reminds me of like a body without a personality. Like it 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 removes that from the equation. Yeah. Oh, that's not really nice. No, it's no. not. Oh. Another thing I wanted to ask you, um, and you can just freeball and give me your thoughts around it, is how easy or difficult or whatever it might be, how, what is the level of difficulty, I guess, when talking about uh, sexual violence as a man? Hmm... For me personally, I found it difficult talking about it. And also men that I know have gone through similar experiences have also had struggled to talk about it because it's seen as emasculating. So especially because most violence on men or sexual violence on men is from other men. Um, so I think like it kind of, it's seen as taking away your masculinity and your manhood. It makes you very vulnerable. And I think for women, it also makes you vulnerable, but they are again seen as more weak and fragile by a larger society so there's also this level of protection that they want to give i do not think that this is generalizable but i'm talking about stereotypes and negative stereotypes but i think men they don't even talk about it because it's seen as i can't even be vulnerable um because i'm a caregiver i'm a whatever i'm like the bread maker yeah 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 i have met men in my life that have been subjected to sexual violence and have tried like they were aware of it and they tried a lot to get help from it and i also know men who were subjected to sexual violence and they they hadn't realized and then when when we were having a conversation i was like oh but that's that that's that's rape and they were like oh wait wait what and I think it was, for me, very, like a very weird experience to see that I'm having a conversation with someone and I'm telling them something about themselves that, like they described what happened. I knew that it wasn't something that they wanted, but they couldn't, they didn't have the words to describe, oh, I, I was raped. Yeah, I mean, I... I had that experience where I did not realize what it was until I sat down with a friend and I was talking about it and then they were just like, Cameron, do you realize what that was? Like, you just brushed over that way too fast. And I was like, oh, it was this and this. And they're like, no, that was like sexual assault. And I've had conversations with other people and the same kind of conversation happens. And now I can recognize it because I've been through it. But it is, it's very alarming. And I think something that many people just don't really realize. Yeah. Yeah. No, uh, I think that this is a point where I'm like, sexual education is very, very much needed in schools. Like, I feel like from that uh, things that we said today, I'm like, okay, porn, another episode, sex education, another episode. Yeah. <laughs> You're just, I just wanna talk about those things. Um, but I know that time is pressuring, so um, I think we're moving into the last part, uh, which is uh, recommendations. 
for like if there's like a movie or a book or a podcast or anything that you would like to suggest to people to go and check well i think that if any of my friends are listening to this they'll already be sighing because i talk about this book so often but the will to change by bell hooks i recommend to every single person especially men the book is written by bell hooks which is a woman a black woman and she perfectly encapsulates what the problem is and why men are not even able to talk about themselves and feelings and why they are also affected by the patriarchy even though they are at the top of the food chain and i recommend that to everyone yeah yeah i think it's uh also interesting that it's written by a woman mm -hmm. uh, because i i'm sure like you said and i can hear people saying oh well but like a woman wrote it and it's about men so how could she know i mean she formulates every single sentence very very thoughtfully and when i read it i i don't feel insulted or attacked and it makes me definitely become defensive but in a way which is I don't want to shut it down, I want to learn more about it. And then I start to understand where she comes from, and then I recognize it in myself and in others, and it just becomes clearer. Okay, yeah. I will go read it. You have to <laughs> <Sorry>. me. <laughs> yeah. No, I definitely, I also want to read it. Um, and I will also give another uh, recommendation. It's another podcast, actually, uh, and it's called Man Enough. And there's uh, three hosts, it's two men and a woman. And they have discussions about manhood and masculinity basically a lot. And they are very vulnerable. They have uh, guests in every episode. And a lot of the times, or almost all of the times, it's also famous people. So I think it humanizes them a bit. And like it's really talking about vulnerable uh, and sensitive issues that men face. And it's t really trying to give like a new direction for men so that they can be themselves and choose like what kind of masculinity they want to embody. And I really, really like that. I really wanna thank you for coming. Thank you very much. Uh, we had a great conversation and I know that it wasn't an easy conversation. So I kind of wanna thank you double for that. <laughs> and I also wanna uh, thank Anna who's doing the editing. Uh, who always listens to our conversations many, many times. Uh, and then I think uh, that's it for this summer and we'll be back in September. <laughs>